Hello and welcome to Grow Up Summer School, an EPG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and this week on the show, we will be talking about storytelling. The best strategists are natural storytellers. It's an important skill that we need to constantly hone. For the next few days, we'll be exploring this topic from all different angles, from how to inject mystery into your stories, to how to find quiet, and today, how to slow down. Today, we're talking to Carl Honoré, author of In Praise of Slow, Challenging the Cult of Speed. And we hope you take a keen listen to today's show, because you could be our lucky winner. If you are the first to email me, michelle at apgcanada.ca, with Carl's top five tips, I will send you a free copy of his book. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Cossette for sponsoring this week's episodes. As one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, they have shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's get into the show. Carl, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you here. Um, if you could, terrific, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, including your background, how you kind of came to this topic and why it's become so important to you. Um, and if you could then share your top five tips. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's, it's great to be with you. I'm Carl Honoré. I'm Canadian by upbringing, but I live in London, England now and have done for a long time. I was a foreign correspondent, covered Latin America and Europe. And towards the end of that, I began to feel like I was stuck in fast forward and like I was racing through my life instead of actually living it. And the moment I realized that I had just completely lost the plot, that I lost my compass, I I just lost my way, and that I was, I just become a, a kind of speed demon, was when I started reading bedtime stories to my son. And back in those days, I just simply, couldn't slow down. So I'd go in his room at the end of the day and speed, speed read Snow White. Like I'd be skipping lines. I became an expert in what I call the multiple page turn technique, which I don't know if anyone's a parent out there will probably recognize it. I mean, my version of Snow White was so fast, it only had three dwarves. It was not a good look, right? And, and, and I got to the point where I found myself flirting with buying a book I'd heard about called The One Minute Bedtime Story, the Snow White in 60 Seconds. And I thought, when I heard about this book, I think I read about it in the Financial Times. I thought, whoa, hallelujah. I need that book now. Amazon drone delivery. But then, you know, the second thought came rolling in afterwards. And it was just simply, whoa, what have you become, right? I, I, is, is this for real? Um, and, and that was the, the moment of truth for me. That's when I hit rock bottom and I realized I just had to, I had to slow down because I was, I was racing through my life instead of actually living it. And back when I was so impatient and so fast and so rushed and distracted and multitasking all the time, this, just the, the slightest delay was enough to set me off. You know, I can, I think back to myself just, you know, losing my rag when, you know, if someone failed to run a red light or, you know, or whatever, or just people or lose a big line at the bank or something. And, and, and now I look back and just think, whoa, that was such a gruesome way to live your life. I'm, I'm so relieved to have reconnected with my inner tortoise now and, and to have learned the art of, of slow. Your inner tortoise. I love that. Um, it's funny because I came across your book when I was in a very similar state and, and literally had on my daughter's bookshelf, the five minute bedtime stories, the fancy Nancy <laughs> five minute bedtime stories. And I, and I remember, I think I watched your Ted talk um, or, you know, I, I had you know, followed some other podcast interviews that you had done. And 
And I could so connect with that. And even what you say now in terms of, uh, you know, being constantly distracted, trying to multitask, uh, feeling kind of always on edge. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of you saying things, things would set you off. And I think, you know, maybe you'll get into this with, with your tips, but one of the most useful things I ever learned was literally just to stop and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's amazing how powerful that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, really uh, keen to hear more um, about kind of your, your reflections and, and how I, and cause I think this is, is a, is a daily habit. Like it gets, it's really easy to get back caught up in it again. Um, it's a very conscious effort. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear your, your tips. Well, You've stolen my fifth tip. Oh, sorry. I, may, I, may, I may have to put it quickly rather than slowly and come up with yeah. a, uh, one off the one off the bench. But uh, I'll start. My first tip is always is always the same, and it's um, it's very countercultural, and it's a scary thing to do in a world drenched in FOMO. But my first tip is always do less, right? Just do less. <laughs> we are chronically trying to do way too many things. And it's not surprising because the world has become an enormous, infinite smorgasbord of things to do, consume, experience, buy, go off. And the natural human instinct is just to want to have it all. The trouble with having it all is that it's a recipe for hurrying it all. And so a big part of this slow revolution, slow with a capital S, this slow movement, is about streamlining. It's about pausing, Mm -hmm. taking the time to think deep and hard about what really matters to you, focusing all your attention and energy on those things and letting everything else go. And you'd be surprised when you actually stop and look at your calendar or your planner at how much fluff, how much guff we're filling our schedules up with. Why? Well, sometimes it's because we feel obliged by other people's expectations. Sometimes it's because we're just afraid of empty time. We're, we're terrified of this idea of wasting time. So we're just constantly ramming more and more stuff into every minute. And what that just means is you end up skimming the surface of everything you do. You do lots of different things, but you don't do any of them especially well. So do less. And one way to think about that is to say, okay, every day I'm going to, or, or once a week, I'm going to look at my calendar for the coming week. And every day I'm going to find one thing that's in there that I can drop. And I guarantee you, if you think long and hard enough about it, there'll be one thing you can let go a day. And just by doing that, you open up more space and oxygen in your schedule so that you can slow down and give more of yourself to the things that really matter. Because this is a culture, you know, a fast roadrunner culture is one that places on a pedestal the urgent, puts the urgent before the important. And I think that's what Mm. slow brings back into the equation. It says, look, let's just slow things down a minute here. Think, look at the big picture, connect the dots, decide what really, really matters to us. And once, once you do that, you realize that a lot of that urgent stuff is not important, right? It just radiates importance because that's the culture we live in. But if you take a, a moment to look long and hard at it, you realize you could let it go. And, and one, one other way, just a kind of addendum to this first tip, I always suggest to people that they we all have to-do lists, right? In one form or another mm. is to keep a not to-do list so that every mm. time you remove something from your to-do list, you keep a record of it, put it on your not to-do list and keep those not to-do lists on your phone or in a drawer or pinned to a board in your office or somewhere, but close enough to hand that you can look at them from time to time. Cause it's super helpful to look back 
six weeks, six months later at your not to do list and see all the things that you dropped. Because I'll bet you at the time you dropped them, there was a little voice in your head saying, can't drop this. It's too important, right? My, the sky will fall in. My career will come to an end. People will stop loving me. It'll be a catastrophe. But actually, when you have a bit of time and perspective and you look back later on, you realize, actually, you know what? I, I don't even remember that thing at the time. It wasn't important. And it gives you that bigger picture perspective that makes it easier um, in future to say no. Because that's my, my book is called In Praise of Slow. It could very easily be called In Praise of No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have to be honest with you. The thought of keeping a not to do list give, gives me massive anxiety. And I think it's because I'm still a recovering duaholic um, and very much recovering, trying to recover. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's also because, you know, when I think of myself and our, and our audience, and, and, and this is true for so many people, like we're all such overachievers and we're, we're all such, you know, I keep talking about this. There's an episode that's going to come up soon where we, uh, where I talk to people about imposter syndrome. We all have it. It doesn't matter how uh, advanced you become in your career and what successes you've had. It still continues. Um, and I think a lot of people and I myself know that we have this tendency to equate our achievements and what we do with our self-worth or our value. Um, and, and so I think there's some really important, you know, thoughts and reflections and learnings there. And I also really, uh, connect with what you're saying in terms of, we live in a world where there is absolutely limitless choice. I mean, you can just even like, look at ice cream. Like there's like yeah. beet flavored <laughs> brie, whatever ice cream, there, there, there's no limit to what you can get. And so it then makes sense that you would, it would be unnatural maybe to try and put these limits on yourself. Yeah. I mean, we are human beings. We are creatures by our very nature of scarcity. That's how we were forged on the you know, in, 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 in the ancient times, you know, in the Savannah and Africa. And, and now we suddenly find ourselves in a land of super abundance. And we just, you know, we struggle to cope. We, we, what do we do when we get presented with this endless buffet of stuff to do? Well, we just gorge. Yeah? It's the same with food. It's the same with uh, you know, uh, notifications and social media. We just can't stop because we're almost hardwired to just take more and more because that's what we were built to do is to gorge, you know, feast when there's a, some stuff there. And then because the rest of the time will be famine. The trouble is in the modern world, there's never famine. It's all feast. <laughs> and, yeah. and that, that, that leads to all kinds of uh, misery and, 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 and tears. I just want to throw in another little thought here about, um, you talked about overachievers and so on. And there's, I always think when people say I'm an overachiever and so on, and I, I've got the, I've got that type A gene as well, um, is, is, is again, it's kind of to, to rotate the picture and look at it from a, a different angle and, and to think, well, the trouble is that our, the way we define achievement, def the way we define it nowadays is so often by quantity, by how many things you've done rather than the one thing you really, really smashed. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of this, uh -huh. and, and I think we, we judge ourselves and we look down on ourselves and we, we scold ourselves for not doing lots of things when in fact, true achievement really is, is, is narrow, right? It's, it's getting one or two things and really making them shine yeah rather yeah. than doing a whole bunch of things reasonably well or stuffing up a resume or filling up your linkedin profile with lots and lots of stuff you know looking back on your deathbed um you know for a start nobody looks back and thinks i wish i spent more time in the office or mm. or more time on linkedin um or social media and yet where are we spending most of our time but really you whenever you look back over any decade 
there's only going to be one or two things that really jump out at you as being great achievements, real achievements. And, and just think back if you could spool back to the start of that decade and instead of frittering away so much of your time and energy and, and oomph on a whole bunch of other things that were completely forgettable and not that important, if you just let those things go and zeroed in on the one or two things that were going to define that decade for you, think of what achievement would mean then. I mean, it would just be mm-hmm. transcendently different. It reminds me of a quote from Warren Buffett, the legendary investor who once said that the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, there you go, that kind of buttons up that first tip. Yes, do I have less. definitely fallen victim to say no, say no more and um, <laughs> do less. Yes, absolutely. I've definitely fallen victim to saying yes to too many things and then had to try and you know, find my way out of that hole. <laughs> yeah. um, so do, do less. What's your second tip? My second tip is unplug, right? Mm-hmm. Technology. I'm not a Luddite. I have all the gadgets. They're great. They're fun. They're toys. They're tools of productivity. Couldn't live without them. But they all have a red button somewhere, right? That means off. And when we don't use it, the, the, the tables turn and the gadgets become a problem. We become enslaved to the screen, mm-hmm. to the grid, to other people's timetables and expectations and so on. And so, you know, I think it's normal. Anytime a new technology comes along, it always takes us time to hammer out the social protocols and cultural norms and rules and stuff around it to get the most out of it. And usually at the start, we go overboard. I think that's what's happened with the, the, the kind of information technology, this whole kind of on people being online constantly or 24 seven and sleeping with their phones and getting up in the middle of the night to check email and all that stuff. I mean, that's just patently toxic, right? I mean, there's no study that doesn't tell you otherwise, right? Anyone who's read anything about technology knows that we need to switch off. And in fact, when you go to Silicon Valley now, you know, people who are on the bleeding edge of these new gadgets, what are they doing with their, 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 their screen? They're turning them off, right? Mm -hmm. They're picking times to be on and many, many other times to be off. They're doing the same with their children. They're holding back the phones and the iPads as long as they can, sending them to schools that don't use screens, all that stuff, right? So Unplug, you know, be wise, be sage, be balanced about the, how you use your gadgets, be, be disciplined, right? Say, okay, during mm-hmm. these sets of times, I'm going to be on and I'm going to make the most of all of the speed that the information superhighway brings to me. But in other moments, I'm going to unplug, slow down to a more human pace. And in that time, I will be able to let my mind wander. I'll be able to tap into creative thinking. I will be able to listen to other people and have conversations like people used to have before they were worried about that thing vibrating in their left pocket. Um, you know, so it's about, again, you know, this whole slow evolution is not about doing everything slowly. Uh, I'm not a Luddite, right? As I said a moment ago, faster is often better, but not always, right? So slow creed is about, like musicians talk about the tempo justo, the right tempo for each piece of music. That's mm. what this slow culture quake is about. It's about going fast sometimes, going slow other times, it's about being present in the moment. Ultimately, it's about doing everything not as fast as possible, but as well as possible. And that you can apply that thinking directly to our use of technology. Sometimes you want speed, right? Uh, there are times where I want my broadband connection to be, I've got, a, I've got a one gig connection. I don't want it to be any slower than that. But there are other times when I don't want to be moving through my life or the moment at the, you know, at the speed of a gig, right? I want to stop and pause and listen and be aware and feel. And think and reflect and do all the stuff you cannot do when you're 
in a high-tech roadrunner mode. So that second tip is very simple. Unplug, right? Find those moments, switch off. Everybody's going to find their own formula for doing that. It's, there's no universal recipe for who, when to switch off and when to switch on, and it will take time. If you're an always-on kind of person, you know, it, you won't sort this out tomorrow morning. <laughs> there will be withdrawal symptoms, <laughs> but you will get there, right? And once you get there, you'll never go back to being on all the time. And is that something I'm curious that you have managed to communicate to your teammates or people that you work with in terms of setting boundaries? Like you say, okay, like, do they know that, for example, there's no expectation that you respond uh, after a certain hour or on weekends? And then also, is that something that you maybe you get your family or your friends or someone to help you uh, be honest with, with that? I think, yeah, a big yes to both of those things. No man is an island, no woman either. These days, we're all super connected. So you, you know, you can't turn up one day and declare unilateral slow or unilateral unplug. It, it, it's going to fall apart. So you have to bring people along with you and bring them along slowly, right? You don't just suddenly switch off 25 hours a week when you were available all those hours yesterday. I think you have a dialogue, you start a conversation, whether it's within your social group, your friends, whether it's within your company your department, your team, your startup, whatever it is, you just get the conversation going. And you'll find from the start that everyone else is, whether they admit it or not, or want to be open about it or not, is on the same page. You know, we all are human beings. We all need to switch off. We're all desperate to switch off. And sometimes it just takes one person to have the courage to stand up and say, hang on a minute here. Maybe there's a different way of using our gadgets. <laughs> Maybe there's a, a different way of thinking about technology. And usually you find that the floodgates will open. And then once they open and everybody's open to the idea of saying, okay, let's, let's reformulate here. Let's, let's rejig our use of technology in this group. Then you start to work out the details. But yeah, you have to bring people along. Um, and and one, another way to think about it is you don't have to approach it in an all or nothing spirit. You don't have to from the start, work out exactly your way of doing things, and that's it forever. I mean, I often recommend to clients or companies or people I'm working with that they run little pilot projects. So you say to your, you know, let's say a team within a, uh, an organization, you say, okay, for the next week, everyone in this team, you sit around the table, you talk about the technology, work out that everybody would like some time switching off and doesn't feel they have, have to, would like not to feel they have to answer instantly everything all the time. Then you say, okay, the next week we're going to, I don't know, everybody can book three hours off a day when they don't have to be reachable. Or we're going to, nobody can be contacted two evenings a week, you know, whatever it is in the context. And just at the end of the week, circle back, have a debriefing and see what it felt like. You know, did, how did we get on with that? Did we, did we lose business or did we feel more energized? Did we connect more? Were we able to do more creative work, more deep work in those moments when we were switching off? Could we? have more time, less time, different times, you know, and, and just work it out as you go along. And it, it can be a lot of fun as well. It doesn't have to be like sitting down to a big bowl of bran, right? <laughs> Which is really good for you, but not a lot of, a lot of joy. It, you know, you'll have fun with it and come up with, uh, you know, little, little prizes or something for someone who, whatever, you know, um, just, yeah. just keep it loose and light and keep an open yeah. mind because there's not one way to do this. There's one way, which is to be off screen and offline more but the way you do it will vary from person to person, context to context. And it's important to keep that front of mind. 
Yeah, I really like this notion of kind of, you know, maybe keeping checking in once in a while, getting feedback, evolving it, adapting it, because, mm. you know, I've been part of those uh, work situations, and I'm sure everyone has, you know, especially during the pandemic where people have, for example, blocked off from 12 to 1, no meetings, no emails. But then all of a sudden you start getting these invites for 12 yes. o'clock because yeah. it's the only time that people can find. And then it, it becomes really frustrating. Um, I think everyone has to check each other. Um, if you're yes. going to make this contract or if the contract then does not end up working, then you need to find another, uh, something that people can actually hold themselves to, yeah. um, because otherwise to, the whole thing to, just falls apart. You do exactly. You need to check in. You need to keep people on parade, honest. And for, for that, it very, you know, it's crucial to have buy-in from, if it's, there's some kind of hierarchy to have someone at the top who's bought in uh, and who's, who's setting the example. And yeah, you, you, you need, you need to, to keep checking in because there is going to be creep, right? Because the natural mm -hmm. default op option and setting for so long has been always on. People will fall back into that. So you, yeah, you need to, to keep it right in front of people all the time. Um, again, not in a heavy-handed way that makes it tedious and boring and burdensome, but just a light touch. Keep it, keep yeah. it alive, keep the conversations going, checking in, asking people how they feel about it, and tweaking. Go. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay, tip number three. Trip number three is uh, slow rituals. Have Build some kind of slow ritual into your daily routine and schedule. Mm -hmm. So that, that could be anything. And it will vary, again, from person to person. For some people, it might be yoga or someone it might be cooking, could be knitting or reading poetry. For me, it's often sketching. I'm, I'm really bad mm -hmm. at drawing, but I find there's something about stopping whipping out a pencil, rendering what I see around me in lines on a piece of paper and really looking at something like really looking at it, something we very seldom do nowadays because we're just glancing most of the time and moving on to the next thing. I find that really slows me down. And, and it's useful to have that slow ritual embedded somewhere, ring fenced off in your schedule. So it becomes a sacred stopping moment, um, mm -hmm. a moment when that inoculates you against the virus of hurry and just build it in there. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a three hour a pit stop. It can be 10 minutes. It can be 20. It can just be whatever works for you, but just to have some kind of slow activity that you know, look forward to, and then it will leave that slow glow with you after you've done it. And you go back into the faster moments of your day and, 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 and just have it in the schedule in there. Cause if you just say to yourself, yeah, I'll do that from time to time, you kind of won't. Right. But if you, if you write it in there, you know, 10 minutes after lunch or something at work, or that 20 minutes before I you know, I come home from the office and I get in, into home. I'm going to take that 15 minutes and do my slow ritual, whenever it works for you, but just make sure you kind of have it explicitly in your calendar and that will make a huge difference. Guaranteed. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny cause I, you know, I have been following you for a while and I've heard you called the, the guru and the godfather of slow. And you really are, you have these really great <laughs> sayings. I love the slow glow and inoculating you against the virus of hurry. Um, such a great way to uh, term it. And I, and I love the slow rituals because, you know, we are such creatures of habit. Uh, you know, we can have the best of intentions, but until we actually weave it into our daily lives, uh, it's, it's really hard to uh, activate against. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually at the moment going with the idea of writing something, possibly even a book about rituals. It's, it's really mm. early embryonic stage at the moment, but I just feel like rituals are something that, and not necessarily slow rituals, just rituals in general. And I feel like rituals are almost antithetical to the 
fast forward frictionless culture that we live in now because the whole i mean rituals if you look at them in a cold pragmatic way they look like a waste of time often right because they're not mm-hmm. they don't deliver an obvious result they you know they they're there's something that look like a luxury but actually mm-hmm. they're immensely powerful rituals of all mm-hmm. kinds they they they're about they you know they help in in so many different ways there's such good research on how rituals of pretty much any kind can help reduce anxiety stress boost performance bond us together deepen relationships sharpen our pleasure in sex and food all kinds of things right and yet in in a world that regards anything that doesn't seem obviously efficient and productive and generating clear outcomes in the moment those things just get thrown out the window um and I, and it's interesting that rituals are something that exist and have existed throughout history across geography and, and around all cultures we have these little rituals these little things that we do we all have them right in our lives it might be something as small as if you play tennis you maybe like serena williams bounces the ball five times counts it out five times before every serve second serve is two times apparently you know just little things like that can make a, a difference to how how you perform the next few few minutes or next few seconds yeah well, when you were talking earlier about sketching or cooking or yoga or like whatever it is, I, I think there's a real interesting irony because I, I do find that it doesn't look like it's directly productive, but often I find, and I, I'm curious as to whether you do as well, sometimes my best ideas come in those moments or if not immediately, then they they deliver themselves later because it's mm-hmm. the, the time when I've managed to fill myself up with whether it just be m- mental rest or, or maybe it's, it's something, you know, I'm, I'm l- watching a show or listening to a podcast, like completely unrelated. Um, but you yeah. remember something and, and you are able to bring it back out later. Well, that's, that's exactly how the brain works. I mean, research mm-hmm. and studies have already yeah. revealed that when we're in a relaxed, unhurried, mellow, slow state, that the brain shifts into richer, more nuanced more creative mode of thought that psychologists actually call what well, they call it slow thinking. Surprise, surprise, right? There's a clue in the mm-hmm. title. And, and actually, I'm sure all of your listeners now will recognize the phenomenon, right? That you've just described. If, if, if you just think for a second, when do your best ideas usually come to you? Mm-hmm. Right? You ask that question. And the number one answer you get around the world, because I ask that question in every kind of public arena event you can, you can conceive of. I ask that question and, and no one ever says, my best ideas come when I'm juggling 45 emails or racing to meet a deadline with yeah. a boss breathing down my neck. The number one answer that people give you to that question is in the shower, right? Yeah. In yeah. the shower. It's in those yeah. moments when we stop, those little in-between, those little interstitial moments that seem like a waste of time. Nothing's happening. Nothing productive is going on, right? Because you're just being, you're not doing. But we are human beings, right? We're not human doings. Mm. And when we shift into that, just that being mode, and sometimes those slow rituals can be a really good way to do that. That's when the music and the magic happen, right? That's when a lot of the creative sparks begin to fly. And all the great thinkers in the arts, sciences, business throughout history have always understood that, which is why they have all talked about the importance of quiet reflection uh, or even just going for a walk, right? The power of going mm-hmm. for a walk, which is something a lot of people discovered again during the pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the beauty and the, the power of just strolling. Yeah. Without yeah. a, a, a name, not power walking, just walking, right? Um, yeah. And it's something that unlocks all kinds of secrets and thoughts and breakthrough ideas through that slowness. Yeah. 
the per- permission to stroll and have showers, <laughs> I think is an important tip. What's your tip number four? Tip number four is mother nature. Yeah. Get out mm. into mother nature. The science is super clear on this, whether you call it green therapy or forest bathing or whatever. It, being in, we are creatures of the natural world and being yeah. in a green space is soothing. It makes us feel calm. It makes us more serene. It actually has a physiological effect on us. You know, stress hormones go down, blood pressure goes down. You know, it, it, it's just there as a kind of slow injection all around us is mother nature. And, and now obviously if you're living in the middle of a big city, there's less of it around, but you know, you don't have to be in the middle of a forest in, in the Rocky mountains, right? Or halfway up a mountain in the Himalayas. You, you can go to a park and just be around green space. Uh, even, I mean, they've shown that even just having plants um, in, 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 in an office, having green to look at mm-hmm. is, has that, glorious, delicious, slow trigger to it. So tip number four is get out into nature. Yeah. You're walking nature if you can. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that's, that's also something people often say, oh, slow is for rich people. You've got to be pay for Pilates and yoga and you know, five-star Michelin banquets. No, most of this slow stuff is free, right? It's, it's, mm. a, it's a chip, chip change. It's shifting your mindset and making use of the things that are already around you in your environment, just approaching them with a different spirit from a different angle and in a different way. And, and that's one way to think about nature, you know, think about that park mm-hmm. rather than being somewhere that, you know, gets in the way because you can't drive through it. Think of it as a place where you go and, t- you know, top up your slow. Yeah. By just walking, walking around it for five or 10 minutes. I, I find as well, I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners like either kids or a dog as well are a really great trigger for this, um, for, for obvious reasons. But, um, and, and you, you know, you talked before about kind of friction and frictionless. I, I almost think of those as, as two kind of maybe examples of, of so-called friction, but in a good way, because they can help you kind of get that escape that you need. Um, encourage you to yeah. do so. Okay, great. What's your tip number five? Well, tip number five was breathe, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but I, it's, <laughs> Since you've um, you beat me to the punch there, I, I think maybe I'll, I'll throw in another tip, which is uh, is be of service. Right? Mm-hmm. I, and this takes a little bit of unpacking. A, a fast culture, fast forward, roadrunner, speedaholic culture is a selfish culture right? because mm-hmm. you get disconnected from other people. You end up in your own speed tunnel. The only thing you can see is your own to do list. You 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 lose touch with the bigger picture. You, you become obsessed with just getting to the next stage on your personal journey to whatever you have defined as <clears throat> a success or achievement. And I think that that explains why the modern world is it's become more and more kind of consumerist, more and more competitive. It's also become less and less altruistic in some ways. It's become less and less, there's been less and less solidarity around. And, and a surefire way to reconnect with other people and is, is through slowing down, right? You, you, you cannot listen to someone faster because you're in a hurry. You, know? mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to slow down to their pace. You have to be present with them. You have sometimes just to be there while they work out their stuff and then are able to open up and tell you what they need or how they can help you even, right? There's a, mm-hmm. there's a wonderful African proverb, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that gets what I'm saying here with tip number five, which is that by 
being of service to your to other people, of putting other people first, you naturally slow your you, you slow yourself down. You do, that that it, it is inevitable. <laughs> you cannot put other people first fast. It just can't be. It, it can't be done by its very nature. Being of service, putting other people before you, slows you down. It also makes you happier physically, mentally more robust and healthier. It also makes for a better world, right? For everybody, if all of us are seeking to, to, to help be of service to others. So that, that would be my fifth one is to, because I think often when people talk about, and we, it, you know, you could even say the same thing about the things we've talked about so far is that the angle has felt very much, you know, how can I be a better version of myself, right? How can I be more productive, more creative, happier, healthier, faster at, you know, you know, all this stuff by slowing down, you know, what's in it for me. So I think it's nice to throw in a, the fifth one here that flips that on its head a little bit and says, actually, that's not the end game here, right? The, the end game, ultimate goal of slow is not to become, just to become a better version of yourself, right? That yeah. just, that's not, that's not enough. I think, I, I think the ultimate goal here is to make a better world for everyone, where everyone can be a better version of themselves together, and 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 a a, a way to do that is through slowing down and, and and taking concrete, intentional steps to help other people. So mm -hmm. I would I would make that my fifth tip: be of service. Terrific, and and I like you know where we started the beginning. You know, you talk about this you know epiphany you had when you were reading um, stories to your son and, and trying to get through them in a hurry. I find, and, and I connect with this as well, you know, you either have an epiphany or maybe it's an epiphany and uh, this other thing, which I'm going to talk about, which is you just completely burn out. That's the other way to get to this. I mean, I sort of feel that if I hadn't had that bedtime stories epiphany, I possibly could have had a burnout because that's yeah. so often is the way that we, you know, the body is keeping tab. Mm -hmm. It's counting the bills up and eventually it sends you the bill, right? And, and, and yeah. so often it's the body that just says, no, we can't do this speed anymore. And I don't know, you have a, can't get out of bed one morning or you know, your hair starts falling out, whatever, right? It's just the body that says enough, enough of this, right? You've got to yeah. slow down. And yeah. so that, that yeah. yeah, the ideal scenario yeah. is you don't get to that stage. <laughs> you get yeah. to a, you have an epiphany like mine, which didn't involve physical pain and yeah. hospital visits and things, right? It just, it just involved. This involved a lot of shame. I think you can still even have maybe like mini burnouts. I mean, I, I start to feel it on like Thursday or Friday. I'm like, okay, I really need to take it easy this weekend and, and try and shut down. Cause even though I'm not having like a full fledged, I need to go to the hospital, my hair's falling out. Like you can just, I think you can feel it in your body when it's getting towards the end of the week and you need to like have a restful weekend. Yeah. But to me, this feels like a constant thing, right? Like, I mean, you obviously came to an epiphany. And so did I, but it's not as though, okay, then we're done. Like we're, we're on the road to recovery. Like to me, yeah, it's a no, constant no. reminder and, and thing that I have to, you know, consciously do. Yeah. And I, I see that in my own life that I'm, I'm so much more aware now post epiphany and having slowed down and embraced slow in, in, in every aspect of my life that I'm much more aware of what my body is telling me. Right. So I'll, if my body is saying, look, that's it, you're done. Or tomorrow needs to be a gentle day, or maybe tomorrow needs to be a day off or something. I will listen to my body. Whereas before I would have powered through. And, you know, sometimes you just have to power through, right? That's the nature of the game. There are moments in life when there's just no choice. You've got to suck it up and power through. We've all been there. I'm sometimes there, but that's the ideal scenario is that that's not, that's not every time, right? <laughs> like 
sometimes you power through because you just have to. But if you're living, if your life is constructed in such a way that every time you get a message from your body saying, slow down, put the brakes on, you just power through, then you're heading for trouble. Sooner or later, a big burnout is coming, right? So it's, it's about paying heed before the epiphany. And as you say, it's about paying heed after the epiphany to your body. It gets a whole lot easier after the epiphany because you've done all the thinking, done all the, the homework, if you like, the metaphysical, you know, um, sort of the inward looking homework. You've worked out who you are. You understand your body better. You know what's important. So it's easier to pay heed to your body then. But yeah, you, you, you've, you, we all have these signals. Everyone listening to this podcast will have noticed this signal probably in the last two weeks of their body just saying, whoa. Steady on there, right? Maybe it's time to think about changing the pace up a little here, putting on the brakes, maybe, you know. And it's just so important to be attuned as, as sharply and acutely as possible to those warning signals and to act on them wherever possible. So sure, sometimes you're gonna have to power through, but don't make that your default setting. Make that the exception to the rule. The rule should be wherever you are in your journey of epiphanies and slowing down, the, the default rule should always be I'm going to listen to what my body's saying. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to act on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about kind of this need or this feeling of needing to achieve and imposter syndrome and, and all these other things. And I feel as though, and I mean, sure, sure. You must've come across this as well. There's, there's this massive culture, this humble brag of like, Oh, I'm so busy. Like, yeah. because busy equals success and busy equals that I'm in demand and that I have value. Um, how do you, how do we start to change the narrative and say, yeah, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually not that busy or like I'm, I'm, I've got things in, in check. I mean, to say you're not busy is a signal like, oh shit, I might be fired or yeah. <laughs> there's something exactly. wrong, but how yeah. do we, how do we change that to be something more positive as I've got it under control and it's actually okay if I have some downtime because I need that yeah. downtime and that's actually my best time. Well, I, I think and I'm always wary of calling on the language police and so on and you know, telling mm. people what words to, but I do think that we should, all of us use that word busy a whole lot less, right? You know, mm. um, you know, next time someone says, how are you doing? Don't just say busy, right? That reflects knee jerk answer that we all throw out because it makes us sound and feel important. You know, maybe think about saying the truth. I mean, that, that happened a lot during the pandemic. People actually started answering that question honestly, you know, saying, mm-hmm. actually, I'm not so great, or, or my, 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 you know, my, my partner's not well, or whatever, you know, and, and, and just humanizing ourselves rather than carrying on this charade where everybody is a high-performance, you know, working robot, because we're not. Um, so I think, check your language, you know, tr- try to find ways to avoid putting busy on a pedestal and using it as a badge of honor. And, and, and maybe even sometimes say, you know, spin it around and say, oh, I was just so busy yesterday and, and make it, make it a you know, pejorative, you know, make it a bad thing to have been over busy, crazy busy and stuff. And, and just play around with the language because the language can change the way we feel about ourselves and the way we move through the world. I think there's a bigger macro answer to your question, which is that it touches on some of the things you've mentioned along the way about achievement and how we define it and so on. One of the things that happens when you start to embrace slow is that you open up to the importance of other parts of your life, right? Because very often when you're stuck in fast, (laughs) the whole kind of roadrunner, it tends to be about work generally, right? And so work becomes the benchmark, it becomes the yardstick, it becomes the way of measuring whether you're successful or what your worth is. But once you slow down and you start to read bedtime stories without deploying the multiple page turn technique, right? 
And suddenly you realize that that what had been a painful chore, right? Reading bedtime stories at the end of the day, you just couldn't face it. It was too slow. You, you know, once you start doing it slowly, it becomes a reward, right? It becomes a prize mm. at the end of the day, a thing you look forward to. And you get that back from your child, right? It becomes something you can feel, you can sense your child lighting up in that moment. And that becomes a kind of success, right? That becomes another metric of achievement. So I think the more you slow down and bring your whole self to other parts of your life that were maybe neglected because you were either too fast, too busy, or too drenched in work, then those things begin to occupy more space in your, just in your universe, right? And once they occupy more space, then they become part of the conversation about success and, and achievement. And, and you start to think, well, you know, like picking up my fifth tip, for instance, right? You, you start to be of service, right? Suddenly you're volunteering at the local vegetable garden in your neighborhood, right? And that's an incredibly fulfilling thing to do. You meet new people, yeah. you, you, your, your hands are in the land. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a bit myself. It's just an extraordinary, simple thing to do. And those are, those are the kinds of things, again, I used the metaphor earlier of lying on your deathbed and looking back. Those are the things that are going to define you, right? It, it's, you know, sure, you're going to think about work and stuff, but it's, it's really going to be those slow moments that, that even in here and now give texture, color, meaning, joy to your life. They're the ones you're going to remember later on, right? The time you took to have a long walk with your grandmother, you know, the month before she died or whatever, or the time you spent helping to build a community garden that now feeds school for underprivileged children or, you know, whatever, all those things, those things enter the equation when it comes to defining success. So I think slow can help you get to a broader, richer, more human, and just a better definition of success and achievement as well. It, it'll help you achieve a lot more at work. But again, that's not what it's all about. That's not the, that's not the only aim here, right? The aim is to widen the lens and say, let's, you know, let's have a broad definition a broad embracing definition of success and achievement. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because I think, and then I, you know, relate to this, I think it's really easy to get addicted to the buzz or the endorphin hit or whatever you get from accomplishing something, you know, getting it off your checklist, crossing it off. But in the same way as you talk about, there's a, not, maybe not quite the same, but it's a different and, and oftentimes mostly better uh, endorphin rush or, or, or feeling of happiness <laughs> that you get from connecting with someone else, uh, yes. enjoying some kind of a hobby or something that you do. And I think the other reflection is speed can give you maybe some short-term joy. It can also make you incredibly miserable um, <laughs> when you become a slave to it. You know, when we were talking before about the feeling of always being on edge, kind of um, you know losing your shit at someone or um, just yeah, the, the, just the, the feeling of just being completely burnt out and just like you're on a constant hamster wheel. Um, you know, since I have employed some of these techniques that you talk about, I just, it's just like so much happier and human, as you say. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, as the science is so clear on this, that those simple, slow exchanges, you know, I'm helping an elderly person cross the street, chatting to the person who tells you your newspaper or your coffee in the morning, helping out in a local garden, just all those little small acts of kindness, those little moments of human exchange, they actually have a physical effect, right? They're, they're, good, for, mm -hmm. they're good for us physically. They, they give us a dopamine squirt. We get oxytocin from embracing and all that stuff, the, the, the happy social hormone. 
but it also just, you know, it's, it's better for us physically and mentally. It's better for our mental health. Just think back to the pandemic and those lockdowns. What was it that we missed more than anything? Mm -hmm. Missed social contact. We missed Mm -hmm. being in the same physical space with other human beings and just doing, just being together, doing stuff together. That's what we craved. That's what we rushed back yet. It wasn't, we didn't rush back to spend more time looking at spreadsheets in the office, right? We just didn't. Uh, so I, yeah. it's, it's, I think the pandemic for a lot of people, no, I'm, pandemic was a nightmare, right? And I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I do think for a lot of people, it brought a silver lining, which was it, it was like a global workshop and slowness. It forced us all to slow down, took FOMO off the table because it was nothing to be afraid of missing out on. And at first people, I think, found it difficult, but, but many, and obviously a lot of people found it really difficult and because they couldn't slow down because of their work and stuff. But I think a big chunk of the population had a pretty wonderful experience of slowing down, right? And, and just not feeling rushed and having time to listen and be with their, their partners and their children and bake bread and take up hobbies and go for walks and look after their health a bit more. And, and it's interesting how many people now, and also have time to reflect. And that was something, again, that I touched on earlier, that when you're in that fast mode, you lose, you're, you're all about reaction. You've got no reflection. There's no time or space for reflection. When you slow down, you reflect, you ask yourself big questions like, who am I, right? What's my purpose here? Am I living the right life for me? And I think a lot of people during the pandemic had time to grapple with those big questions. And the answers they came up with were, were for many people quite, quite shocking, right? They looked back and thought, well, you know what? The life I was living before the pandemic, I was just on autopilot, right? That wasn't the right life for me. So that's why you see coming out of the pandemic now, millions of people around the world making big tectonic changes in their lives, whether it's leaving a bad relationship or changing jobs or moving from one city to another or, or learning a new language or, you know, whatever, or changing gender or, you know, whatever, all these big changes people are making. I think many of them are making them because they finally slowed down and had some time to look into themselves and ask some questions, some big questions. And that's, again, one of the biggest benefits of slowing down is that, is that reacquaintance with your own self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, sometimes those big questions can be a bit scary. And so we try and run away from them. Um, but no, there are important ones to, to ask yourself and to, to take stock uh, continually. Um, terrific. Well, I think we're going to, we're going to end it there. I'm going to recap the five tips, make sure we haven't lost anything. Uh, so tip number one was do less tip number two, unplug tip number three, engage in slow rituals. Tip number four, uh, mother nature, seek it out. Tip number five, I stole from you, breathe, but, uh, you replaced gallantly. Thank you with be of service. Um, and, uh, hopefully haven't missed anything. Um, really again, appreciate your time. And it's just great to connect with, uh, with another Canadian, uh, even if you're all the way across the pond, but, uh, great to have you championing this, uh, slow revolution. Cause I think it's a very important message. Thank you very much. It's been, um, been great chatting with you and it's always nice to revisit these ideas and, 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 and feel them getting out into the world. Thanks. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 